Hey there, and welcome to Truth Be Told, a theology and apologetics podcast not claiming to have all of the answers, but created to analytically look at the truth contained in the Bible and encourage critical thinking on how to apply that truth to our lives. I'm Micah Gunn, and I appreciate you listening in. No matter your level of understanding or knowledge, I sincerely hope and pray that you find these words edifying, informative, and beneficial. So let's get started. Hello, everybody. This is Micah Gunn, and thank you for listening in to Truth Be Told. Today, we are going to be doing a little bit of a mix between expository and verse-by-verse study. And what I mean by that is, essentially, verse-by-verse study is typically done where you take a section of scripture and you'll read one or two verses and then kind of expound upon those verses then read a little bit further and go deeper into what those verses are saying so you get a clearer picture by the end. Um, We're going to be doing that except we're going to be doing larger sections of scripture. So it's it's more expository. Um, It's just that I don't have a set theme that I sat down to start writing about or thinking about or podcasting about. Instead, I just kind of looked at this section of scripture and themes do come out at you when you look at um, one certain story or things like that. So that, that's what we're going to be doing today, going through one section of scripture and kind of drawing out the meaning from it. Um, but we'll read through the whole thing first and then uh, go back in and kind of ask ourselves some questions about it. And this is really cool because this is a section of scripture that I've studied often, you know, it's it's not a new section of scripture for me. I'm sure it's not a new one for you either. But sometimes you, it's the nature of the Bible to be kind of infinite in that way where you could study something a hundred times at a hundred different points in life and get something new out of it every single time. Um, and that to me is just really, really cool. So I'm excited to share this with you. If you would, if you're following along with me in a Bible, turn with me to Luke 5, and we'll start reading in verse 1. If you're not, that's okay. I will be reading it. I'm not calling on volunteers today. Just kidding. So anyways, uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 1 says, "So So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And their partners are um, James and John. It's interesting because in this it says there are two boats, but the fishermen had gone from them. So it's like, okay, who are these fishermen? And immediately the next verse, well, it's Simon's boat. So it's Simon and Andrew uh, who are brothers. That's their boats. Then later, here's their partners. And it doesn't say who they are, but in a few verses we'll see that it's James and John. So I don't know. That's just interesting to me why you would mention the type of people and then the individuals afterwards. But anyways, so they say signal to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Verse nine, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish, which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. 
So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So this is a pretty cool miracle that Jesus does in bringing all these fish to uh, the catch. And recently I found out that people have different ideas of what actually this miracle is. Some believe that he actually created fish there at that moment. And that's really interesting to me. Uh, some believe that he just had super sight and could see fish that were there that they couldn't see. And some believe that he drew fish to them. And I, I had never considered that people could... Um, believe a miracle happened, but disagree on what exactly the miracle was. That was just really funny to me. But anyways, no matter what happened, it's clear that a miracle uh, occurred here. And like I said before, when we study our Bible, it is a good idea, I think, to ask questions about what we're reading. Sometimes we've heard a story so many times that we think we understand it fully, so we stop asking questions, which might lead us to deeper understanding of what's being talked about. And some questions I had, just to go through a few with you, when I was studying this section of scripture, uh, we'll just go through three today, were, were things like, why even listen to Jesus in the first place? Because clearly they did, they cast the nets at Jesus' instruction, but they're amazed that anything happened. And Peter clearly doubted that anything would happen. He says, forgive me, I'm a sinful man, for they were all astonished that anything had happened. So Peter doubts Jesus here. Um, they've been doing this all night. They're skilled fishermen, probably been doing this for a long time. Why listen to Jesus at this point? It's early on in his ministry. So why besides maybe just politeness or something? I don't know. We'll go into that question. Why listen to Jesus' instruction? Another was, why does Jesus repeat here the fishers of men line? Because he, he says it to them first much earlier, uh, I think in... Mark chapter 1, he says that to them when he asked them to follow him initially. So why is Jesus repeating the line? Don't they get it already? Like they've heard this. What new are they drawing or are they supposed to draw out from this? And then the third question I had is what's the purpose of the miracle? Because Jesus doesn't do anything just because and the gospel writers aren't recording anything just because. It's not like, man, Look at how cool Jesus was that he helped us out of this bind of not having any fish. or And Christ isn't doing things thinking, man, I still got it. I'm pretty powerful. It's, it's just not how the Bible's written. John says that Jesus did so many amazing things that the libraries of the world couldn't contain them. So why this one? Why is this specifically here for us? And I think that's an important question to ask about um, most things, really. It kind of reminds me, this this form of questioning reminds me a little bit of like, when I was in high school, I used to do um, like plays and musicals and things like that. And my director would always say, have a reason for moving from place to place on the stage. Because at the beginning of your rehearsal, you're thinking, okay, at this line, I need to go over here and talk to this person or go to the front of the stage because I'm delivering kind of a monologue. And um, that works out fine for your initial blocking. But as you get better and you know your lines and you know your places, you have to have reasons for going to the place that you're supposed to go. You have to have a reason for why you looked or got angry there. And when you have that reason in your head, then you can translate that in your acting and it can um, just make it a little bit more real. So what is the reason? We, we can read these as like, like a script almost where, yes, this happened, yes, this happened, yes, this happened. But if we don't ask why, sometimes we can miss um, a lot of what's going on. 
So the first question, why listen to Jesus in the first place? Because Jesus is not a fisherman. He has not been doing this for some length of time. Now, obviously, he was probably, he probably could have been better at it than James, John, Peter, and Andrew were, but he's not. He's not a fisherman at this point, as their view of him would be. He's a man. So why listen? Are they just being polite? I, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, we do know that in every example of Jesus, he does command a certain respect and authority. So that could be part of it. Um, that it's just the presence of Jesus compels people to do certain things. So yeah, maybe it's just the authority that Jesus seems to have that, um, like I said, compels these people to listen to him. But as I looked in a little bit further um, to this section of scripture, as I was reading through commentaries, and um, I even went through things like fishing practices of the time, and that actually brought me to some really interesting answers about this. And I'm not saying this is the absolute answer, but it was interesting. So at the time that they're doing this, in a typical fishing boat, you would have at least two, and one would stand watch, and the other would be the net caster. And they're, they're both fishermen, they both have important roles in this, but the fishermen that had the net would be um, unable to see as well as the one that was watching for the fish. And so Jesus kind of puts himself in this position of the watchman. And when I was reading this, it kind of reminded me of like, when I was younger, leaving my grandparents' house, they had this kind of curved road a little bit. And as you're pulling out of it, every once in a while, a car could come around the curve and you couldn't see it so well. So one of my parents would look left to see if there's cars coming that way. The other would look right to see if there's cars coming that way. And the one on the passenger side would just say, okay, you're good. And they just had kind of a trust. And so they would pull out when they saw that they were good on their side. This is kind of what's happening here. There's a trust between these two men. And so one can say, throw the net and they know where that person said to throw the net, that is where there will be fish. So maybe this uh, fishing practice where Jesus is putting himself in the position of the, the watchman uh, role of fisherman, all, mixed with his um, authority or command that he kind of has, maybe these two things together um, would allow Peter or Simon, I guess was his name at the time, would allow Simon and Andrew to just kind of trust a little bit more. It, it at least shows that it wasn't out of the ordinary for someone to say, hey, do this, because the fishermen in the boat would say, well, maybe they see something that I don't see. But what really matters isn't actually why they listen to him. I know I asked it as a question because I was just curious, but what more matters is that they did. Because yeah, maybe, maybe they believed he saw something that they didn't see from his vantage. Maybe they were being polite. Maybe they were just showing respect um, despite not believing anything would change. But the point is that they did listen. So even if they believed that this attempt would fail, despite their tiredness or their their hopelessness, they, they listened and they did try again. And that is incredibly important. And that'll kind of um, keep on fitting in this section of scripture uh, as we continue to ask questions. The fact that they did listen will continue to be very, very important. So then let's, let's move on from that question and go to the next one, which is why does Jesus repeat the fishers of men line? Because like I said, Mark chapter one, I think it's one verse 17, I think is what I had written down earlier. Mark 117, I think says it's where Christ tells them to follow him and he promises that they will be fishers of men. And we understand this, right? We can read that scripture 
and know that he's drawing an analogy from what they're doing there to what they will be doing. They will be drawing men in to follow Christ. That is what he's telling them, and clearly they got it because they, they did choose to follow him at that time. So why repeat it again? Were they not following him? Well, they're there with him. So why does he feel he needs to repeat this? Christ uses the analogy of what they're doing to show them what they will be doing if they follow him. But I, like I said, I just don't know why he needs to say it twice. Because you have to then ask yourself, what changes from that example to this example? It's clearly not him saying that. So something has to change to where he is now applying this fishers of men thing to this situation and the differences there. And the differences that I saw, the biggest ones, were that they actually caught something. Because in the first one, they're just fishing in general. And he says, come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. But in this one, they actually catch something. So Christ is showing them the futility of them working alone, and then the superabundance of working with him. And I think that is very, very important. So he says, like, they will be fishers of men. Yes, they know that before, they know that now. They will draw in the nets, they will strain trying to get the nets into the boat, they will do the work, but Christ shows them where to fish. Christ knows where to cast the nets. Christ is the cause of success, and Christ is who to trust when everything else they've tried seems to fail. So he's showing them here that there's a certain reliance on Christ, that even though he is going to make them fishers of men, it's not so that they can do this on their own, it's not, it is kind of teach a man to fish, but it's also, I'll be fishing with you. So Christ puts himself in this role of the, the watchman fisherman and then says, basically fish with me instead of just doing it on your own. And I think that's a pretty good um, lesson here for the disciples and for us as well. In the first, he says, I'll make you fishers of men. They seem pretty interested in that. In this one though, Christ makes the point that they still need him. He is still the fisherman with them. He is still watching out for them. If you would, if you're in your Bible, join me in uh, John 21, and we'll look at a parallel account. And by parallel, I don't mean that this is um, John's account of the same incident. It's pretty clear that this is a different incident, but it's parallel um, in the sense that John sees the two incidents as related. And I will kind of point some of those um, examples out as we go through, or actually probably at the end. But John 21 verse 4, the disciples are fishing again. So this is another fishing incident. And like I said, John connects them for us. In verse 4, it says, But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. Verse 8. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. 
So there are some key differences here, I think. One is the fact that Christ is not in the boat with them. He is on shore. The other is the fact that, um, so basically he's, he's far away from them at this point. The other is the fact at the end that the net was not broken. That is very, very specific because in the first account we saw, the net was breaking and they had to bring another boat with them. In this one, John clearly not only connects the two, but shows that they are two separate. So they're separate, but they are um, intrinsically connected in some way that John is trying to tell us here. So let's look at let's look at this. Um, I almost hate to call it a parallel account because parallel is so different. But let's look at this other account of them fishing and see the similarities and differences to see what we can learn from from both sections. So like I mentioned before, Christ is far away from them. Rather than being right on the boat, he's far from them, but he still works the miracle for them. He still makes them successful, even though he's not in the boat. And this is important because soon, well, this is after the resurrection, Christ is not going to be physically with them anymore. So it's an important lesson that Christ can work from afar. He doesn't need to be right in the boat with you. He can perform the miracle through you or still using you, basically, um, even though he's not physically right there. He can work amazing things without being right there in the boat with you. And this is something they're going to need to learn as they go out and become fishers of men, quote unquote, on their own, obviously still with Jesus's help. Um, I noted here that Peter's outer garment is off. I think it just shows that he is still struggling at catching fish. He's tired. He's strained at the work. Um, and this is kind of a similarity between the first and the second event. It does, the first one doesn't say that Peter's outer garment's off. This one does. But the point is still made that they are struggling to catch fish. And at the end of their catch, they don't have anything. So he's been straining at this. And when Jesus asks them if they have anything, they say no. In this one also, like I said, the net's not broken. That's a, that's a miracle, I think, in and of itself. John points to that um, being something very special that happened despite the number of fish. And I think here, the importance is that Christ, it's kind of even more a sign that Christ needs to be a part of that work because not only can he um, do the miracle through you where you still have to do the work, but he can do um, even greater things than that and help you even more in the miracles. So the first miracle, yes, he brought the fish and they, they brought them in the boat, but the net was breaking. And there was still a lot of struggle with that. In this one, Christ makes it even easier um, by having the net not break. And I, I think that is another miracle that um, Jesus points, or Jesus does here, that John points us to. Though I suppose you could say it's just observation, but um, I think the fact that John observes it so clearly points to it being miraculous. Um, and then lastly, I thought this was almost kind of funny, but also a difference. When they got to land, Christ has already got food. So at the beginning of this story, he yells out to them, do you have any food? And they said, no. And then he provides food for them. But it's not like he needed it for himself. He already had food there. By the time they get to shore, he already has a fire going and bread and fish. So in the first instance, when Christ says this fishers of men line, it's interesting because it's just a general call to them. It's just, hey, come and follow me. This is what I'm going to do with you. I'll make you fishers of men. And they like that. The second time he says it, you'll be fishers of men. He performs this miracle to show you that you, you still need me. I'm, I'm here doing the miracles through you. I'm the one doing the calling, even though you guys might be out there doing work still. 
And then in this third example, he doesn't say the fishers of men thing, but he shows them by already having food, even though he's asking them to continue fishing, he's asking them if they have any food. He's showing them, at least in my opinion, something that I kind of brought out of the scripture is that he doesn't need them to do it. He can, he can catch the fish all his own. He can call men all his own. He could do the work all his own, but that's not what he's, what he's asking for. He's asking them to still fish. He's allowing them to be included in that work. And that's, that's really, really cool because it shows the power of Christ to do things, but also then his love and his grace towards us that he calls us to be a part of that work. And that's really cool. So the third question I had about this section was, why is it important? Why is the miracle important? And why is it here for us to read? I think we've kind of discovered why it's important to the disciples. It shows them not only uh, the first call of what they're going to be doing, but then also that they need Christ, but then that Christ doesn't need them, but that he wants them a part of this work. So it's important to the disciples, but why is it here for us to read? And I think the answer is almost a little obvious, but I, but still worth stating. The answer is that we are also supposed to be fishers of men. And we, maybe as a church or as a in, an individual, we as people have been at this a long time. A long time. Since these, these disciples were told, be fishers of men, people that follow Christ are told to bring people to him. So this call to keep on fishing has been going on a long time and we can get tired. It can get dark. And sometimes the task of sharing that gospel message can seem almost impossible. At some point in time in the future, it's probably going to be even more so, more impossible because throughout the world, there is an increase in hostility towards Christianity. So in the future, this might even get worse. I'd like to share with you a little exposition from a book I just finished called And He Had Compassion on Them by William Barclay. It was a really interesting book, kind of difficult to read, um, just in the sense that I had a lot in it that I disagreed with, but his um, ability to discuss the purpose of miracles, I think was really, really cool. So I'd like to share with you something he said about this section. Follow me, he said, and I will make you fishers of men. It may well be that in this story, he was dramatically repeating the call from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Jesus was saying, in effect, do you see how you were given this amazing catch? You were given it because you cast your net where I told you and where I saw the harvest of the sea was richest. You were given it because you refused to accept your failure as final and you were prepared to try again. You were given it because you did not say that what I told you to do was hopeless. If you obey me in your greater task, as you have obeyed me in your smaller task, you will also catch men with equal success. It is not only the, the disciples who had the duty of catching men for Jesus and bringing them into his friendship. We too have that duty. I think that is the point. That is why this is such an important set of scripture, because this is a lesson, not just for disciples or actually it's, I should say, not just for the disciples of old, but also for the disciples into the future. Because right now things look pretty bleak. The world is full of a lot of chaos and a lot of uncertainty. No one's really sure how to best do all the things that used to be very simple to do. And in this uncertainty, it can cause a lot of people to freeze up. Should I learn the new system or is this gonna be over soon? What can I put a pause on and what do I have to keep on doing? Do I learn how to use ClickList or do I just go to the store far less often? Do I figure out Zoom 
or do I just learn how to manage isolation? And in this indecision, people pause, they're frozen by decision. And this is not an option when it comes to sharing the hope that lies within us. It is not an option when it comes to sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. And I think that's what we can take from this section of scripture. It doesn't matter how long we've been fishing, how tired we are, how dark the night is, how heavy the net, or how impossible the task. We are told to keep on fishing. We're told to keep on trying. So while I hope you found this message interesting today, as we look at um, a little section of scripture and kind of dive deeper into what it meant for the apostles, rather than just being an interesting story of a miracle that Christ did, I really hope that beyond just interest, you take this as encouragement to go and find opportunity or not shy away from opportunity to share the hope that lies in you. That is so important. And Christ is telling us here, it doesn't matter how difficult the time gets or how impossible the task seems or how many times we fail. He promises that he's going to be there with us to help us succeed. So yes, I hope you found this informative and interesting, but also beneficial and encouraging as well. Um, this is a call to action from Jesus Christ in this scripture, not just a section about an interesting miracle that Christ did. So thank you guys so much for listening. I really, really appreciate everybody that tunes in and shares, likes, comments, leaves reviews. All of that means so much and helps this out a lot. So thank you so much once again. Hope you will tune in again next time. And until then, keep on fishing, keep on sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, and keep on thinking critically about your Bibles. Thanks, everyone.